We are going to um, share together the book of 3 John, 3 John, this morning as we uh, prepare for the message that Pastor Keith has for us. These books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are rather short, but they pack a lot in there, so let's prepare our hearts to receive that. This is addressed to the elder. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does evil does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. May God add his blessings to the reading of this word, and may we be in prayer for our pastor. Dearest Lord, in these few short words, you have put so much meaning and so much intent. It shows us very clearly the ways in which, if we know you, we walk in your name and desire to serve you, and by the opposite, if we do not know you, how we shun you and treat those who do love you. And so, Lord, we pray to be walking the path that you have set before us, following the teaching that we hear in your word and the word that we come to know. So, God, lead us and guide us, and as Pastor Keith gets ready to share this message with us that you've put on his heart, Just open our minds and hearts wide open so that we can receive that and learn to live by and share your word with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. morning. It is good to be with you here today. We are walking through 3 John, which is, of course, this letter that Vicki read, uh, written to a man named Gaius, who is a worker in the church, and John's writing this letter, and 
I'm not a big sermon title guy, but I've titled this one Walking in Truth because that seems to be the message that, that John is writing to Gaius about. I think it's so interesting, by the way, that this is a book of the Bible, that it's a letter written from one person to another person. And in that letter between these two individuals, we see instruction and truth and guidance for us here today in the church. It, it, it's interesting that John has great joy. It says, because his disciples to him are as children to him. The church is like a family. And the Bible lays out this, this idea that older men are to mentor the younger men, and the older women are to mentor the younger women, and we're to be as brothers and sisters, and fathers and mothers, and, and, and sons and daughters, all, all to, to join together with Christ as our head. And that's what we see in, in John's writings. He, he's an old man at this time, writing to, to the church. He's the last of the surviving disciples of Jesus. All the others had, had passed on, had been martyred for their, for their faith. And, and while their successors were continuing to spread the faith, John was still there uh, writing, I believe one commentary said, from Ephesus, writing to, to, uh, to, to Gaius here. In this church, and as he's writing, he's he's fond of this man, and, and he he says to him that it brings me great joy to to see what's happening in in the church there. But just like in any family, there there was a conflict, and, and I'm sure none of your families ever have conflict. But this family, the family of God, the church here where John was writing to, has has conflict. There's this man named Diatrophes. And Atrophies had somehow gotten under the skin of the Apostle John, and, and there was this conflict there. And John has promised to deal with this when he gets there. That, that's scary, isn't it? I mean, you ever say, just wait till your father comes home, you know, type of thing? Well, just wait till the Apostle John shows up. This was a tough dude, okay? It wasn't, I said that, that John lived longer than the other disciples who were martyred. It wasn't because they didn't try to kill him. John was... was uh, they put him in a vat of boiling oil to try to kill him, and he survived, okay? This is a guy who's been through a lot, and when he says, I'm going to show up and take care of this diatrophies, you better believe there, there was some, some weight behind that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what was the conflict that was happening in, in the church. We, we don't know a lot about it, but here's what we do know, that diatrophies, he, he, he's got three things going on. The first thing that John says is that he puts himself first, okay? Now, you know how that goes, right? If you're in a relationship with someone and they always put themselves first, that's a strenuous uh, relationship, isn't it? It's that way in families, it's that way in workplaces, and it's that way in churches, isn't it? When, when someone insists that they must be first, that goes against the grain of what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus taught that the first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus taught that we, we should humble ourselves so that someone else may exalt us. You see, it, it's okay to be exalted, but not by yourself. So Jesus said that when you go to a banquet... Don't take the most important place of honor for yourself because somebody might come along and say, oh, I'm sorry, you don't belong here. Have you ever had that happen to you before? You ever go to a wedding or something like that, a reception, and you didn't realize that there were assigned seats, and you sit down next to some people, and someone comes along, oh, I'm sorry, you don't belong here. How embarrassing. You know, Jesus says don't do that. He says instead, take the most humble place so that someone else may come alongside and say, oh, I'm sorry, we've got a better place for you up here. 
But Diotrephes was a man who insisted that he was right and he should be first. And, and those are difficult people to be in ministry with. Secondly, it says this. This one's probably even more, more uh, worthy of, of uh, dealings with the Apostle John. John says that Diotrephes does not acknowledge John's apostolic authority. He basically says, even though John walked with Jesus personally and received the faith personally from Jesus, that Diotrephes, he, he, he knows better, right? He knows better. We don't need to listen to that old man, John, right? I got a better way. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a, an issue for John because that's not how Jesus set things up. Jesus brought his 12 disciples and, and he gave them this authority to go out and, and preach the faith that was preached to them by Jesus. And he said, now go out and do this. And the people that I'm preaching to you, they'll have your faith and, and you'll have my faith. It, it's a line that Jesus has given them, like a chain. And it all breaks down when someone says, well, I don't want to listen to that guy. Right? I don't want to listen to you. There are big problems that happen in churches when the authority of the church is, is, is thrown out, is, is questioned, or is disobeyed. And, and that's nothing that, we're, that we are unknowing about. But this was happening even in the early, early times in the church. And John says that he even goes so far as to put people out of the church who do want to follow John's authority. So he's not just saying, this is my own personal opinion... I don't agree with what John's saying. He's saying, look, if anybody wants to, to follow the teachings of John, then you know what? You don't belong here anymore. That, that's big problems, isn't it? The big trouble. And John says, I'll deal with that when I get there. You know, I wonder what that was all. I would have loved to have the minutes of that meeting, right? You think they took minutes back then, right? The book of Acts has some minutes of some of those meetings. Anyway, so... This was what was happening in the first part of this letter. Well, then John proceeds, he says, forget about this guy. He says, let's talk about you, Gaius. He says, you, you are a great guy. You, you walk in the truth. And he's encouraged by this. So, so based on what John writes in this short letter of only 14 verses, here's what I think we can learn about walking in truth, according to, to Gaius' example. The first one is this. We should show love for the church. We should show love for the church. He says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. So for showing love for the church, the first thing that we need to understand about that is we have to support each other. Gaius was a man who supported other saints who were doing the work of the gospel, whether he knew them personally or not. He supported them. He helped them. He didn't say, well, you know, I, I only really have like two friends over here that I, that I take care of. He said anybody who came to him, he, he supported them. And of course, that's what we do in the ministry. We, we support each other when there are mission trips to go on or ministries that are undertaking or sandwiches to be made or, or whatever it is that we're doing. You know, the ministry of the church happens because people support each other. Because people say, I want to be about what that is, therefore I support that. You know, sometimes people think the church is like money hungry and always obsessed with, with money and, and wanting money for things. And I'd say, well, there's some churches that are like that. But I think that the, what you have to look at is what is the money for? 
What are we using that for? Are we supporting ministry? Are we doing good things? You know, I, I tell people all the time that get hung up on this idea of, of I don't want to give to the church. The church is, is, you know, always asking for money. I say, well, then, you know, you don't have to give a dime to the church if you don't want to. You don't have to. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to give money to that church. But there is scripture that says that as a believer in Christ, you have to give and you have to support ministry. But here's what I believe. I believe that if the church is doing what God's called us to do and we are about the ministry of God, then people will feel led and called to support that ministry. That's why we give. Not just randomly. We give because we we support what God's doing through us in various ways. You know, people stop by. My, my daughter was having a bake sale at Fairway last Tuesday uh, to raise money to go to Haiti, and 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 people stopped by, and she was she was amazed at that, that how that happens. And then then because it was a hot day on Friday, they had leftovers. They were out there, and and you know James, who's, who goes to our church, who's the manager there, he said, "You guys should be inside where it's cooler. People will come and and buy more things." You know that that support that exists. It's it's how we get where we're trying to go. It's an awesome thing when the church supports each other. You know, last week we spent, there were, there were uh, 14 students and then three of us adults that went to Clinton for this thing called Unite Work Camp. And, and it was a pretty awesome experience. <clears throat> we got involved with it because the leadership uh, of that camp, I'd never heard of it before, but they, they contacted me about being the, the speaker for the week to all the kids. And I said, well, I don't really want to leave our students and everything like that, so I'll tell you what. <clears throat> I'll come and speak if I can bring some kids. And they said, that'd be great. So we brought some kids, and the purpose of the camp was to paint houses for needy families in the area. And we painted ten houses in three days. It was pretty awesome. One of the, one of the leaders that went on this trip was a guy named Craig Collins. And Craig is down here right now. And I just asked Craig if he'd be willing to come up here and give a little testimony about what he experienced on this trip. Because I think it has a lot to do with how the church supports each other. So will you welcome Craig, who gave his time to go with these kids? Thank you, Keith. Good morning. Uh, Like Keith said, uh, a few months ago, Keith told our youth group, that he had this chance to go up and talk to these people at this Unite Work Camp. And we had a bunch of kids jump up and say, well, we want to do this too, whatever this is. Uh, So you might be wondering why I'm wearing this shirt here. Uh, This shirt is actually my group that I was a leader of. And um, I had them all take their handprints and put them on this shirt so I could have a little memory of them. But what I really got out of is, you know, Pastor Keith says, Hey, we're supposed to go up there and paint these houses. And I thought, okay, we're going to get a bunch of kids together first week of their summer vacation, and they're really going to paint houses. This should be interesting. We got up there Tuesday night, and we had a total of about 100 kids from all these churches. We had 14 kids from our church. So most of the kids up there didn't know each other. But within an hour, you would have thought they knew each other for years. And every night we got together and we had a service. We got them pumped up about painting houses. And they went out and they served Christ. And we talked about the verse from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26, which said that I will remove your heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. And throughout the week, Pastor Keith got up each night and these kids were dead tired. I was dead tired, so they had to be dead tired. And he gave a message to them about 
undivided heart. Uh, he gave a message about removing the stones from their hearts. And he also gave a message about basically what a lot of them did all week, scraping the old paint off their heart and replacing it with better paint. Um, and they did that every night. And then Thursday night, what I think was really just the highlight of the camp is uh, we stood up as leaders and we had many of the kids come up to us and come to know Jesus Christ. And it was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my life. So while you think these youth might be out there playing their video games, going to the swimming pool, uh, many of these youth, like Noah up here, who's up front, um, got together and uh, went and painted a bunch of houses for Jesus Christ. So thank you very much. It was awesome to see the support that these kids got. And here, here's where I thought this intersected with, with John. Um, when we have these crews out on these houses, we put up these signs in the yard that says Unite Work Crew and, or Work Camp. And people would drive up and they would go, what's going on here? Um, you know, who are these kids? Are they on some kind of community service or something like that? You know, they let them out of, you know, juvenile detention or whatever to do this and and the kids were, were, would run up to the car and say, oh, no, we're here because we, we love God and we, lo- and we want to serve Jesus and we want to love people and unite people together. And we're from different churches and we're doing this. And, and the, what, what we'd see would be this. A, a person would drive up, they'd look at the, they'd talk to the kids, look at the project, and then they'd drive away. And many times they'd come back and they'd have a cooler with like popsicles or something for the kids. Or they'd come back with ice cream. People would do that. And it was awesome to see. We were on the front page of the Clinton newspaper on Wednesday because some, one of the homeowners wanted their house painted in Chicago Cubs colors. Um, so the, the, whole, the whole house was painted in, in Cubs colors. Well, one of the things that the first day or the second day, I was driving around with the director of the camp and we were going from place to place and one of the, uh, one of the houses was out of paint. So we go, so we got to run to Sherwin-Williams to get some paint. Now, I don't know when the last time you bought a gallon of exterior paint was, but it's not cheap, is it? It can run you about $40 or so a gallon. You can easily spend 40 bucks a gallon on exterior paint. But when we got there, the manager of the Sherwin-Williams store knew what this was for, and he gave us 100 gallons for $100. Or 10 gallons, I'm sorry, 10 gallons for $100. It was $10 a gallon. Pretty amazing, wasn't it? And everywhere we went, we saw the support from the community and from the churches. And I'm telling you, that's what John's talking about. He's saying, this is what the church should be. We should be supporting each other. To walk in the truth isn't just about knowing the right things. It's about letting that support go out into your life. And that's what was happening with this man, Gaius. He was supporting people. Secondly, the thing that was awesome about Gaius was he was to welcome other Christians. This is how you show love to the church. You, you welcome other Christians. A, a few weeks back, we got a report. Your, your church staff got a report from uh, this group called Faith Perceptions or something like that. The district, our district of our denomination, hired some spies to come in here and spy on us. And what they did was 12 people came into our congregation as secret worshipers. Over a couple months, different time, and they generated a report for us that basically said, here's how your church measured up on these, on these areas. It was a 160-page report. 
Okay? And when we read this report, I'll tell you how I responded to it. I was blown away by it. Okay? When they came and presented the report to our staff at a staff meeting, our field outreach minister said this to us. She said, as long as I've been doing this, I have never seen a church that has received such a high score from the entire report all across the board. It was amazing. And one of the areas where our church scored exceptionally high was the preaching of the associate pastor. Was, I'm sorry, was, was the, uh, was, did I say that? Is that on tape? Uh, was in how welcoming everyone felt when they came into our church. We scored, there was like a scale of one to seven. Every single person that came here, that was, I think there were 12 of them, and they came at different times, to different services, at different, you know, all different things, said they either felt very welcomed or welcomed, okay? And I, I can promise you this, there are lots of churches that don't get that score. And the thing that I was most proud of, because I know that, that, that our church has worked really hard, for those of you on the, on the hospitality ministry and the care ministry, you guys need to understand something. What you're doing is making a huge impact. Because the thing that was most exciting wasn't the fact that, you know, they said, well, the pastor welcomed me. Because they made a point to say, well, the pastor didn't even get to shake hands with people because we all had to rush out of here. Yeah, we, we know we have challenges with buildings and stuff like that. But the thing that was really neat about it was they said, from the moment I walked on the campus of the church, someone was there to greet me. And someone would walk me to where I needed to go. And if I looked like I didn't know where I was going, someone took me on the way and smiled at me and was pleasant to me and introduced me to someone else. And it was awesome to see what, what you guys were doing to, to welcome people into our, our community. That, that was powerful. And it was a really awesome moment of affirmation that we received. I wish they could have come and presented it to you because you're the ones that are, are, are doing a lot of the work uh, in this. It was awesome. Welcoming other Christians is a huge part of what it means to walk in the truth and show love for, for each other. And so I want to encourage you in that. What you're doing is making a difference. Keep it up. And don't think because you might not have a lanyard or a name tag that it's not your job. One of the things that we saw was that it was the, the interaction between everybody that made a big difference. Not just the people who are on a committee or on a ministry team. So as you're walking the halls of this place, if you see someone that you don't know, or you see someone who looks lost, or you see someone who looks new, take it upon yourself to welcome them and greet them and bring them to, to, into the sanctuary or where they need to go. It, it makes a world of difference. The third thing was show love for the church. John says we, we speak well of each other. You know, that's what the thing that, that Gaius was doing. Speak well of each other. He says, we've heard about your report. We speak well of Demetrius and this other man. Well, the second way to walk in truth, besides showing love for the church, he says, do not imitate evil. Do not imitate evil. Now, that might seem obvious to us, right? It might seem obvious. And he's writing to this man who's obviously doing a great job as, as a leader in this church. But he reminds him, he says, look, do not imitate evil. Now, think about what that means. To imitate evil means that you see evil that's happening around you, and then you do it. It reminds me so much of what I read in the, in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, of how the people of God can have the right ideas, but when placed in an environment with evil around them, oftentimes the evil tempts them away 
from the truth of God. Leviticus 20.23, the Lord through Moses is speaking to the, to the Israelite people as they're heading into the land that God has promised, a land that was filled with other nations, by the way. And, and it says this, And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. You see, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they came into land, the promised land of God, and there were other nations there. And, and I know sometimes people have a hard time with, with the way that those other nations were, were, were judged by God to make room for the Israelites. But you've got to remember, God is holy, God is righteous, and these nations were evil people who were sacrificing their children and were, were, were doing barbarous things to, to others. And God said, I'm creating a place for my people. And, and God says, when you go into these nations... Don't become like the evil that's around you. Don't imitate that. But sadly, if you read the Old Testament, that's what you see. You see the people of God continuing to be influenced by the evil around them. And John's writing to Gaius and he's saying, don't let that happen to you. And, and I think that's what he'd say to us here today. He'd say to, to the church at at Marion, he'd say, don't let the evil that's going around around you influence you in the church. And I'm not going to open that can of worms right now, but it's a big can and there's lots of worms in it. Because it's very easy for the church to, to look around at the culture and the customs of the world and say, well, well, we want to be like that. So let's become like that. Whenever the people of God choose to imitate the customs of the surrounding nations, they wind up in horrible sin and incur the wrath of God. You know, the Old Testament would be a much shorter shorter uh, part of the Bible if they hadn't done that. Because you wouldn't have all these prophets that had to, to give all these warnings. You wouldn't have all the stories of, of Israel being carried into other nations and overcome and dominated and God pleading with them. Proverbs 4.14. This is a verse you could live your life in right here. It says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Notice, he doesn't say, don't do bad things. He doesn't, he doesn't say, don't do bad things. He says, don't go on the path that evil people go on. You see, you don't just wake up one morning as a Christian and all of a sudden start doing a bunch of evil sin. What happens is, you wake up and you want to love God and you're going out in your world and you, you kind of just get on this other path. And once you get on the other path, it's where you wind up when you get in trouble. So Proverbs says, don't even go on that path. Sometimes our problem in, in life when it comes to imitating evil is we think we can just walk right up to that line and it'll be okay. But the Bible says, don't even go down that road. Stay away from the way. Avoid even the appearance of evil, the scripture tells us. And John's continuing to write, even to this faithful man, do not imitate evil. Be careful about that. Don't let what's going on around you overcome who you are. He says, instead, imitate good. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To imitate good does not mean that you just run away and hide from the evil. It means that you overcome the evil. And how do you do that? By the good. 
by doing good. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what Paul said to the church. That's that chain I was telling you about. And you know what? That chain exists today. The chain where, where God the Father sends Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son says to his disciples, he says, whoever receives you receives me and receives the one who sent me. But whoever rejects you rejects me and rejects the one who sent me. That's a chain that continues, you see? When he told John, whoever receives you, John, receives me. John is saying to these people, hey, receive me. Now, Diotrephes wasn't receiving him. But Gaius was. You see, and that chain continues because you and I are here today. Because we've received someone, right? Who they received someone. The truth of the gospel handed down throughout the centuries by people who have clung to the truth and passed it on to you. Imitate good. That's what John encourages the church to do. So what would it look like in your life for you to say to someone, hey, if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, just follow my example. Kind of scary, isn't it? Right? I don't know about you. For me, that's kind of, I, I, that makes me step back a little bit sometimes. And go, okay, i got to remember. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. doesn't mean that we're perfect. But it does mean that we set our heart's desire on following Jesus. It's awesome. That ministry of setting an example is huge. And I believe that we all have that ministry Because somebody out there, whether you realize it or not, somebody out there is going to imitate you. Somebody out there is watching you. You might say, no one's watching me, believe me. Trust me, they are. Okay? We had secret people in here watching you. All right? Somebody's watching you. Are you nervous? So imitate Christ so that others would be able to see him in you. And then number four, the last thing. I like this. This is the end of John's letter. See each other. This service might appreciate this. The other services, services, they might go, I don't understand. He says, I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. You know, we need to get back to that, don't we? We need to get back to talking face to face instead of this. Face to face, not Facebook to Facebook, okay? Face to face. It's okay to communicate with with your devices, but don't ever let it replace actually sitting down across the table from someone, looking them in the eye, and say, hey, how you doing? What can I pray for you for? Where do you need support? Where, Where do you need encouragement? You know, the church, we're to support each other, as we read here. Where do you need support? Where's the world beating you up that I can come alongside you in? Where do you need someone's you know, encouragement. We got to get back to that. That's what John's saying. You know, for John to write that was a pretty arduous deal, writing it down, sending it out. I don't know how they got the letters to wherever, but even for John, he said, look, I don't want to write all this stuff down. I want to come and be with you and sit with you and see what's going on and talk. I think that's something that the church is crying out for desperately. And the culture is crying out for desperately. You know, I talked to some of these kids last week as I was making my way around and doing different things. And I talked to this one little girl who was like in seventh grade. And I said, tell me about your family. She says, oh, we don't see each other much. 
And I'm like, why not? She's like, oh, everybody's busy. We never eat meals together. We never do anything together. And it felt weird for me to hear this little girl crave that interaction as a family. Because, you know, us old folks, right, kids, we, 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 you know, we think that, the, that our kids don't want anything to do with us. But what I learned is it's the exact opposite. You know, I deal with more kids who are messed up because they're trying to get attention. Because mom or dad or whoever hasn't given it to them. And I'm telling you, this getting back to face-to-face stuff is huge. So, so let me challenge and encourage you this week. You know, find a way to connect with someone from our church face-to-face. Give them a call. Go visit them. Say, can I come to your house? Can I take you to coffee? Can I do something with you? Can we have a meal together? Just get with somebody face-to-face and encourage them in the Lord. You know, that was, it's awesome that we have this letter and these letters from John from this old man writing to his children in the faith. I just love that picture. And you need to know something. You and I continue to be his children in the faith today as we read his letters, as we learn from him. And I pray right now that, as the Bible says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the saints, that that God is looking at us, and that even the Apostle John is saying, hey, they're my children in the faith too, as they read that letter. May it be so for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, And for the fact that the words of John have come from you and now come to us. We thank you for this man, Gaius, that we've never met. We'll meet him in heaven someday. But for his faithfulness. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of John. May his faithfulness inspire us. May we imitate him as he imitated you. And Lord, may others see in us the gospel lived fully. That we would never stray from the truth. That we would walk in it and be pleasing to you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Probably the the biggest victory that I see is that that this mission of our church makes the people that we visit feel like they are still part of the church. They're not forgotten. We go visit them once a month, and they are still part of our church. There's one that we visit, uh, Jenny Dye, she and I used to be um, work, or she and I used to work on Stan's Thanksgiving dinners. She would make the best gravy that you ever tasted, and so I could spend all Sunday afternoon just visiting with Jenny because we just talk about things that happened many years ago, and I think it makes her happy uh, to really be part of the church because she's not been able to attend for at least probably the last 10 years, but she still feels very active. I've, I've been um, doing this since it, it started here at this church eight years ago, and it's amazing the, um, the amount of gratitude that I get for doing it, and I th- hope that there are many other mem- members who would feel the same way. They just need to give it a chance.